Welcome back to After the Buzz of Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. In today's episode, we got a few things to talk about. Uh, first, we're going to start off with the NFL news. Probably the most minor out of the three, but still stuff that I want to get to. The George Kittle and Travis Kelsey extensions. I want to talk about those because I do think there's some, some significance with those. I think one deal was pretty good and the other, not so much. We're going to get to that uh, first. And then after that... We'll probably talk some, I'm not sure which order, but probably NHL and then NBA. In the NHL, we're going to talk about, of course, that crazy Game 1, Lightning versus Blue Jackets game. How has that set the tone for this playoff series? Should we be scared as Bruins fans? Should we be scared? I know not all of you are Bruins fans, but of this Lightning team, should the league be put on notice for the Lightning winning this game? I don't know. We're going to talk about that. And, of course, the Bruins game one against the Hurricanes. I apologize if you're not a Boston fan, but the Bruins, you know, when it comes to hockey, the Bruins are kind of the team that I like talking about. I'm not really a whole league type of guy. Like the NBA, excuse me, and the NFL, I like talking about the whole league more. But when it comes to the MLB and NHL, my hometown teams, most of you are from Boston anyway, in the New England area. So, And then then today's episode, we're going to be talking about the NBA mostly we're going to talk about the Russell Westbrook injury. I think that's very significant. And then this um, Western Conference play-in, these teams, the Trailblazers, the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Spurs, those four teams trying to fight for the final two spots in the play-in out West. So that's going to be what we're going to be talking about today. Why did I just stumble that hard? But anyway, we're going to get to the George Kittle and Travis Kelsey extensions first. So let's get to that. All right, so today, the big news in the NFL has been, lately, I feel like it's all been about the Patriots. The Patriots, and I've been feeding off this Cam Newton and Jared Stidham and Bill Belichick. You know, you always can feed off that narrative, but that's all we're do- what we're doing today. We've actually got some relevant news outside of the Patriots, uh, and I feel like the last time that's been is Jamal Adams, the Jamal Adams trade. But today, tight end news. I, this, is, this is different. I mean, tight ends, they're just not that common in the NFL anymore. Good ones, uh, as I say. The significance of them have gone down, but the top-tier tight ends are getting bag. And what does that mean? We're going to dissect George Kittle's contract, Travis Kelsey's contract. What does that mean for Zach Ertz? Because he's the other, these guy, the next guy. What does that mean for him? So, uh, obviously, George Kittle's the one we're going to start with. George Kittle, this morning, uh, him and the 49ers agreed to a five-year, $75 million contract extension. I believe $40 million is guaranteed, like, without it. I don't know. It's $40 million guaranteed or $30 million. Uh, again, I'm not 100% sure. Obviously, some that we don't know every little detail of it with um, it just coming out, the news on it just coming out. But he's 26 years old. He's going to be 27 soon. But George Kittle, I love this uh, this contract for him and the 49ers. I think it's well-deserved. I love it for both sides. I think it's worth every penny for the 49ers. And I think that although it may, you know, may not be like a phenomenal contract by the last year, I think they did a good job with it. And obviously not all that money's guaranteed. And for the 49ers, I mean, yes, it's very rare to see a 
situ it's very rare nowadays to see a tight end as good as George Kittle and one with the significance George Kittle has to his team. But in San Francisco, George Kittle, probably their best offensive player. He's the core. He's one of the core pieces of that offense. And you very rarely hear that about an offense nowadays. But George Kittle, he's just that good. And he means that much to uh, 49ers offense that is very scheme built. George Kittle was big in the run game for them when it comes to blocking. I know he's not Rob Gronkowski or anything, but he has some size to him. He's got some meat. And of course, in the passing game, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo loves a safety blanket. And he's one of those guys who does take, take shots downfield on play action pass, but for the most part, you know, isn't really that much of an aggressive quarterback. I'm not calling him, you know, Drew Locke last year or somebody like that. I'm not calling him back of quarterback in that sense. But, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a Patrick Mahomes who can run around the field and chuck a ball 40 yards down the field without even looking. But he's more of, he's more of a conservative quarterback. He's a little mobile. You know, but he's not, you know, Lamar Jackson that's very mobile or Patrick Holmes and sling the ball downfield. So a safety blanket like Kittle, but Kittle's more than the safety blanket. I mean, I, that's disrespectful just to call George Kittle a safety blanket, but he is just a huge part of his offense because typically in a run, you know, a zone run offense, um, these tight ends do play a big role. So when you have one like George Kittle, Oh, that's big. That is huge. And that's why the 49ers offense really thrived last year. And a big part of that was George Kittle. So I like the deal a lot for both sides. The 49ers locking in George Kittle for the long term. George Kittle gets a solid deal. So I like that move. And I think everybody agrees with me there. And then the Travis Kelsey deal. Okay, I love Travis Kelsey. And I've been one of his... One of his bigger supporters. I think a lot of people are just like, oh, George Kittle, best tight end in the NFL. I'm not so sure about that. I think it's tied between the two, but I for a while said Travis Kelsey was better. Now I'm kind of like, uh, it's it's too close to tell, if you want the complete and honest truth. Uh, so Travis Kelsey, he's got two years left on his deal. He's currently 30, going to be 31, right? So I think him and George Kittle have around the same birthday. I think Travis Kelsey's birthday is three days before Kittle's, or it's in the same month. They're both in October. So they agreed to a – Adam Schefter reported this. When I first saw it, it was a four-year, we don't know how many dollars, but four-year, $57 million extension. That will tie him with the uh, Chiefs for the next six years. Now that I see the money side of it, I I like it a little more because I figured, all right, they're going to pay him around what George Kittle's getting, which he doesn't deserve. As much as I think Kelsey's as good as Kittle now, it's not going to be that way. Even by the end of next season, you know, I'm sure Kittle will probably separate himself, if not by next season, two seasons from now. I mean, as much as they are very close right now, to, uh, you know, in a couple years down the line, it's not going to be close. So the thing with Travis Kelsey is I don't despise this deal. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate it. I'm glad they're locking up Travis Kelsey for a little longer because he's a core piece of this offense. Again, he's really elite. And not in the sense of the 49ers where Travis Kelsey is, oh, they have this zone run scheme and the tight end's a big part of it. But Travis Kelsey's just that good. And Patrick Mahomes loves him as a weapon. So I'm glad they're, you know keeping Travis Kelsey. Not that I didn't think they would, but the reason I'm not a huge fan of this deal is he's locked up on a contract until he's 36, going to be 37, you know, in that calendar year. 
So obviously you can cut them, you can trade them, you can do whatever. But by the time the Chiefs are even considering doing one of those things, he's not going to be that good. So if you're cutting them, I'm, I'm, I doubt they can just cut that whole contract. I'm not exactly too sure, but and if they trade him. You know, teams are kind of going to be sitting there like, yeah, he's a solid tight end, I guess. But by the time the Chiefs are, play, you know, thinking about trading him, Travis Kelsey's not going to be worth that money. Unless the cap space keeps going up significantly. And, you know, maybe that's – maybe we got a different uh, case. But I'm not sure. I just don't like the amount of years. If this was a two-year extension, let's see, four years, 57 mil. So he's getting – uh, not, you know, not this obviously isn't guaranteed money, but he's getting just under 15 mil a year. So if this was a two-year, uh, let's say, two-year $28 million deal uh, on top of the two years he already has, I don't have an issue with that. I really don't. I mean, Kittle obviously wants some of that security. A lot of NFL players love that because NFL players know that next year is never guaranteed, more than arguably any league because injuries are – so common in that league, and players come and go like that. And as much as Kelsey has been very successful, and I think he will be for a long time, you know, you know what I mean by a long time. Still, he wants that security. He knows that my time, it, you know, I'm starting to hit that decline button. As much as I'm very elite now, and, you know, next year I don't think we'll have any issues. You never do know. I'm almost 31 years old. I want a contract. And I think George Kittle did help him out in the sense as he said, listen, George Kittle just got paid. I want to get paid now. And that's how this league is. That's how the NFL is. You know, other players set the bar for other players. If somebody gets an extension, then so-and-so wants an extension. If somebody gets this amount of money, this player wants so-and-so's amount of money. Like Jared Goff has really set the quarterback market. He's getting an absurd $32 million a year. And, now Dak Prescott wants more than that. Like Dak Prescott is not worth 32 plus million, but since he's better than Jared Goff and Jared Goff's getting 32 mil, he thinks he deserves that. And then you're going to see another quarterback uh, come along. Let's see. Let's say it's uh, Carson Wentz. I, Wentz maybe got an extension. Who, whether he did or not, it doesn't matter. Uh but he's going to come along. Let's see, Dak Prescott gets $36 million a year. He's going to say, well, I'm better than Dak Prescott. Give me $39 million plus. So it's just going to keep going and keep going. And obviously, Patrick Mahomes is a different story. No quarterback's close to getting that amount of money. You know, it, so that's a different case. But you know what I mean, the Jared Goffs. The, and it's just like, oh, as soon as one of those quarterbacks get overpaid, it, it just reshuffles the deck. And it, it's going to happen all the time. So quick water break there but Travis Kelsey it's just the longevity of it I the Chiefs to me I'm glad they're locking in Travis Kelsey but it's a little too long for a little too much money I know the cap space is going to keep inflating and I'm sure it won't be that huge of a deal but this is still a pretty you know it's a, it's a negative signing for the Chiefs as much as I wouldn't call it a, a an end a, you know a cap space ender or anything like that You've already got Patrick Mahomes locked up on this big deal. Now you're adding Travis Kelsey's money to the books, you know, especially down the road. And you've got a lot of players who are going to be due for some money soon. And I'm so, you know, it's just really tough when you look at it. As much as Patrick Mahomes, you know, you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got Travis Kelsey, you've locked up some of these core guys. I don't know. I just don't. 
I, I know the cast space will keep inflating, and I'm sure they'll, you know, tweak some of these contracts. You know, they'll restructure some of them. But still, I mean, the Chiefs are going to be in some cast space trouble in a couple, couple of years down the line, and it's going to lead to them having to cut some good players. And, yeah, I am confident in their ability to draft some guys, but, it, you know, they're going to be in a bit of a pickle down the road. So we're going to see how that affects them. And now Zach Ertz. How does this? How does Zach Ertz look at this? Uh, let me just check Zach Ertz's age. I don't know it off the top of my head, but Zach Ertz is the third best tight end in the NFL. You know, and right now he's 29 years old. He turns uh, 30 November, November 10th. So he's going to be 30 this year. So he's kind of in a Travis Kelsey-ish situation. He's you know, Travis Kelsey's turning 31 this year. He's turning 30. So Zach Ertz is also kind of getting to that turning point. But, you know, as much as we say Travis, Ke- you know, Travis Kelsey really hasn't declined yet. Zach Ertz starting to decline a little, in my opinion. And he's kind of sitting there like, I, I think he's gotten slightly worse. And they've got Dallas Goddard. That's a tight end that they love. And I'm not saying they're ready to completely tuck ties with Zach Ertz because of Dallas Goddard, but... If Zach Ertz is looking for too much money or they feel like they they can afford to cut him and it, you know it's not worth the the asking price, I wouldn't be shocked if they do so. Not cut him, but you know, search a trade for him or something like that. I don't think they will, but you never know. I mean, Zach Ertz is now probably gonna be starting thinking about a contract for himself too. I wanna see what deal he's on. Uh, because again, I don't know off the top of my head. But I want to check out his contract and see what is he looking for. Because if he's got a couple of years left on his deal, he may not be looking for a four-year extension like Kelsey was. I'm sure he'll want some of that that security, but I'm not sure. It depends on how many years he's got right now. So right now he's going uh, – this is the 2020 season. So he's got this year and next year left. And this year he's getting uh, – million dollars and next year he's going to be getting 8.2 million dollars and then after that he's a yeah after that he's an unrestricted free agent and that's that so i want to see i'm wondering um what's he going to be looking for because right now travis kelsey he had a two-year contract and he signed a four-year extension granted he's one year older than earth but at the same time Ertz is a little worse than Kelsey, and I think is starting to hit that dipping point. So I could see Zach Ertz looking for that three, four million, uh, not three, four million, three, four year extension, something like that. Three to four years, maybe he reaches for the stars and goes for five, but he wants that security. Players love that security. It's not always necessarily about the money first, but rather let's just make sure we can get a good solid amount of years, and then we'll worry about the money. But Zach Ertz to me, all right, Travis Kelsey's got. Four years, $57 million. So if Zach Ertz is asking for a four-year extension, I could see him going somewhere in the 40s. Like, he may ask for 10 to 12 mil a year, 10 to 13 mil a year. You know, Travis Kelsey's just getting under 15 mil a year. I could see Zach Ertz going for 10 to 13 mil a year with similar amount of years as well, three to four. So I think it's going to be interesting to see pan out. I would not be shocked if we start, uh, start hearing rumblings 
Ertz wants an extension or there's talks between the Eagles and Zach Ertz. So just keep an eye out for that if you're an NFL fan or you're an Eagles fan out there and you really care about that. I know this isn't huge news, but I want to uh, bite into the contract extension meat a little bit. Uh, But now we're going to get to the NHL, so let's get to that. All right, so we're going to start off with the first game of the NHL playoffs, the Lightning versus the Blue Jackets. Now, the reason I want to talk about this game is because it was so historic. Fourth longest game of all time. Uh, The Blue Jackets goaltender, I don't even want to try to pronounce his name, shatters the playoff record with 85 saves. 85 saves. uh, The save record, I think before it was 73, and that was set a while ago, and it's not going to be broken anytime soon. 151 total shots in the game. Game took six hours in real time, 110 minutes, I believe, in game time. Five overtimes needed before the Lightning scored and picked up the 3-2 victory against the Blue Jackets. Uh, Victor Hedman really showed up for this Lightning team. And that's one thing that I want to talk about of many things. The Lightning last year, this is what the NHL playoffs is about. It's not like the NBA where if you're a talented team and as long as you've got okay chemistry, you can win the thing. In the NHL, not all, it doesn't really come down to talent in the playoffs. It comes down to you have the guts. And some lucky bounces here and there. Yeah, you get a you know a lucky draw. You know uh, an upset happens in the first round. You get you know rather easier opponent. You know kind of like the Bruins last year uh, when they basically got the coast to the Stanley Cup finals against the Blues. But you know you get some lucky bounces here and there. You can bounce back. You know those teams, the teams with guts and the teams you know that can bounce back from that type of stuff. And that's why eight seeds win all the time, those hungry underdogs. But then you've got teams like the Lightning that have no guts. They can't win anything in the playoffs. They don't have guts. They've got the talent, but they don't have guts. And you need that. You need somebody to pick your team up. You need somebody that, you know, you need a, just a team that that isn't afraid and can bounce back from some adversity. And the Lightning couldn't. They crapped their pants last year. They were scared. They were nervous. They couldn't bounce back. And it, it was it, it showed you that it was a it was proof. You need to have guts to win the NHL playoffs. It doesn't matter how talented you are, because the Lightning were the most talented team in the league last year. Probably are this year too. But the Lightning, they've put me on notice for sure. I have gained confidence in this Lightning team, and I don't like that because as a Bruins fan. I don't want to face the Lightning in the playoffs. I would much rather face the Blue Jackets again. The Blue Jackets have proven they are a consistent team. They whooped you in that round robin thing, which I'm not too concerned about. But, you know, you did beat them last year in the playoffs. I think the Lightning ceiling is just significantly higher. And although, you know, the Blue Jackets are a deep team, they're a well-rounded team, they're consistent. They do have the guts to make it a couple rounds and give you a fight. The Lightning, they scare me this year. Because I think they've learned a lesson. And the thing that keeps me back from saying that is when they voted to have, you know, the restart, the Lightning were, like, hesitant. Like, they were scared of something. So I said, oh, this team hasn't learned anything. But last year they were without Victor Hedman, one of their best players, uh, one of the best defenders in the league. And that's one of those things. I know he's not the, the big leader there, but he's a big presence. He really helps them out. And I know they have a lot of talent on that team, but Victor Hedman, I mean, 
it doesn't matter how talented you are, he is going to be one of your best players. And, you know, he arguably saved saved you yesterday, uh, not yesterday, in that game one. I think if Victor Hedman sits out like he was expected to, the Blue Jackets probably win that game because he played right under 60 minutes, I think 57 minutes of ice time in that game. He showed up big. He played great all game. He's pushing the puck up offensively, played great defensively, arguably saved the game at the end there. Minute before you scored that goal, it was a great defensive play by Victor Hedman. I'd argue it should have been a penalty because they called the same thing on Seth Jones earlier in the game, but in reality, it wasn't a penalty. But granted, it really wasn't on Seth Jones either. So as much as I think that should have been a penalty called just because Seth Jones had done the same thing and got, got it called earlier, it technically wasn't a penalty. It was just a great play by Hedman, and he saved the game for them there. And I think he did in other instances too early in the game because he took on so much ice time, was able to handle it. I mean, I don't know if you have a defender, even if they were fully rested, that could have made that play at the end of the game like Hedman did. Never mind a defender that could have done that with almost 60 minutes, an hour on the ice. I just don't know. I don't know if that anybody else could have pulled that off. So I think Hedman was an X-Factor for them, and I think he is an X-Factor just in general because he's such a good player, and they didn't have him last year, and I think that was a factor. I don't think that was the deciding factor because this team just was gutless. That's ultimately why they lost, but I do think Victor Hedman gives them a little guts. He gives the team a little confidence knowing that they have such an elite defender back there. I think he does play some sort of leadership role there as well, and I think it's big that he played in that game and that the Lightning won that game. Like, if the Lightning lose that game after five overtimes, they're in trouble because – now the Blue Jackets have the momentum, they're exhausted, and I don't know if they can bounce back. But now that the Lightning won that game, they won the first game, they set the tone for themselves. Because I'm not sure if they can bounce back from that adversity, but now they don't have to. At least for now. They've won the first game. They now have the upper hand. And the fact that they were able to survive that long, those many minutes, stay in the game, compete that hard for the whole time, and then ultimately pull it out should send a notice to the league that this is not the same Lightning team that we saw last season. I don't think it is. Because the fact that they just stuck out there for that long and they fought that hard for that long and ultimately pulled it out against the Blue Jackets team that had beat them the year before, and we all know, put their best in every night. I mean, I know the energy isn't at top level on that Blue Jackets team, but they gave 110%, and they did in that game, and it's scary that the Lightning did not back down. It should scare the whole league that this team now with talent now has some guts. I think they do. I'm not saying that they're the you know the gutsiest team in the world because we haven't really seen them bounce back from adversity yet, but they are clearly gutsier, all right? They... They've improved from last season in that department, and that's a big part of having success in the NFL, NHL playoffs. Excuse me. Not only do they have Victor Hedman back, but this team looks more confident and gutsier, and that should scare the whole league. It scares me. I do not want to run into lightning, and I'd much rather face the Blue Jackets, even though the Blue Jackets have proven they have those guts. The lightning's ceiling is so much higher. If the lightning have figured it out this year, and they are a team with confidence in those guts that you talk about, they could easily win it all because they've got the talent to pair with it. And that is the dangerous danger. That's not even a word. That is a dangerous combo. 
you don't find a ton of teams who have that talent and actually execute it and, you know, don't get ahead of themselves. That's why you see so many eight seeds win and these lower seeds because they faced adversity all season. They barely squeaked into the playoffs. They're the underdog. They're hungry. They can bounce back from adversity because they've already done it. And I think that's another thing with this Lightning team. They faced adversity last season. They took a ton of crap for going out that early in the playoffs. And now that they've kind of faced some of it, I think they're more weathered to it, and they're weathered to some playoff hockey, and that it is a whole different beast, and that should scare the league. That should put the league on notice. And I'm, I'm not joking when I say this. I, I've never taken this Lightning team seriously because, hey, if you don't have the guts, you're a joke in the NFL, NHL playoffs. It's a whole different beast. The transition from the NBA regular season to the NBA playoffs, not a ton. And even in other leagues, but the NHL playoffs is just different. I'm telling you, it's so unpredictable. It's it's so much different. And the Lightning last year, they just didn't have what it took at all. But this year, they very, uh, very well may have what it takes. And that should scare the whole league. A team with that talent now has the guts to do it. Because before, they didn't. They were a good regular season team, but they didn't have the guts to do it in the playoffs. Now, they very well may have it. And that should scare the whole league. That's all I'm going to say on that matter. And now we're going to hop into this Bruins versus Hurricanes game one recap. So let's get to that. All right, so the Bruins first game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, I didn't get to catch the game because I was at the beach, but obviously I watched the highlights. Kind of caught up on what happened in this game. You won, which was huge, and we're going to get to that in a bit. But there was positives. There was negatives to this game. Obviously, I mean, you squeaked it out. But it was still a win nonetheless, and we're going to talk about it today. So... Some of the positives. I mean, first of all, you won. I think that's huge because you sucked in that round robin tournament and you said, we're going to flip the switch. And that, that is not easy to do. That is very risky. And I was not a big fan of that uh, that strategy, per se. And I know this Hurricane team, you know, they're not great, but I do feel like they're being slept on. And they made the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I mean, yes, you demolished them in the Eastern Conference Finals, but they made it nonetheless. And I do think you have the upper hand on this team. Coming into the series, you did, and I do think you do now after this win. But at the same time, I could easily see the Hurricanes winning one of the ne these next two games and really evening things out. Some of the positives in this game, really almost the whole offense. I Jake DeBrusque is one of the negatives we're going to get to, but the first line produced really well after doing terrible in the round robin. Uh, the David Krejci, David Krejci and uh, what's his face, Cape, Andrej, Andrej Cape. I don't even know how to say his first name, but those two together looked like a phenomenal duo, okay? They carried that second line. Like, DeBrusque was terrible, but those two, Krejci and Cape, they gave you some production, and they look like there's great chemistry between that duo, and that excites me, that you have... Uh, you know, that powerful of a duo on the second line when you have such a good first line as well. And then the fourth line. You look at it, they got a lot, they got a solid amount of ice time. They gave you sparks when needed. And the biggest example of that was early in the third period where the Bruins just went up 3-2 to start the period. And then the Hurricanes answered back with just a ton of pressure. They were getting shots on net. They were really starting to tip this thing. It was like, all right, you're up 3-2, but there's still a whole period to go, and the Hurricanes are answering back quickly. But the fourth line comes out there, 
The fourth line comes out. They get the puck out of your zone. And they start applying pressure. They flipped the script like that. The Bruins went up, and then the Hurricanes answered back, and then the Bruins threw up their fourth-line guys, and they gave you a spark. They took a, Not only did they take away the pressure off Tukarask, who was a little shaky in there, let up two questionable goals, but despite that, they were able to get rid of that pressure, give Tukarask a little bit of a break, because I, I don't know, if you don't get that spark, the Hurricanes could have scored there, and we have a different ball game. But they were able to take away that pressure and then create pressure of their own. They got eight shots on net all game. They had a few scoring opportunities. They nearly scored after taking away that pressure. And they started getting shots on net. And it was great. You took that thunder right away from them. And you stole it right back. It was great. It was awesome. And that was the type of spark. You're going to need that in the playoffs. There's going to be tons of moments like that. And that fourth line coming up, that's big. And Charlie McAvoy, I thought he played really good as well. Some of the negatives, the power play, you went 0 for 9 in the round robin, 0 for 4 today. Uh, not today, yesterday. The power play is going to be big. You need to capitalize on those opportunities. You know, in a close game like this, you have four power play opportunities. Oh, man. I mean, if you were good on the power play, I mean, you had one of them in overtime, obviously, but then three in the, the uh, first three periods. So it's like, man. You need to capitalize on those. You need to capitalize on these power play opportunities. If you did so, you probably avoid double overtime and get out a little cleaner with a win as well, you know? So you need to capitalize on those on the playoffs. You know, I don't know why I'm stuttering so much today, but you need to capitalize on those opportunities. You need to score those power play goals. They're huge in the playoffs. You know, you don't get many of those opportunities. The, the refs, they let more go. So the fact that you had four opportunities, I mean, yes, given it was a double overtime game, but still four opportunities on the power play is a lot, especially in the playoffs when the refs are not as strict. They let the boys play, I'm telling you. But the fact that you had four opportunities in the playoffs, couldn't capitalize once, that is not good. And you're 0 for 13 so far since the restart. That is not settling. I mean, yes, the team did flip the script. And they have got progressively better every single game, but there are still concerns. One of them is the power play. Another one, Tukarask. Uh, he was not ready to go at the beginning of this thing, and I still don't think he's really that great. I mean, last year in the playoffs, he was really good. Showed up big. He choked at the end, but it got better at least. This year, we may take a step back with Tukarask. I'm not 100% confident in him. I wasn't uh, before this pandemic Coming into the playoffs, you know, I knew they were going to make the playoffs, obviously, before this pandemic happened. And now coming into it, I'm even less confident because he does not look ready. He still looks shaky. Two questionable questionable goals yesterday. And now he just played five overtimes, and they're playing tonight. So after playing that long game, I think this is a Tuka Rask that isn't that very well conditioned. He's kind of caught off guard by this whole thing because he just was not prepared. And now... He's went out and played a five-overtime game, and now he's back in net the next day. That scares me. I am not that happy about that, and that's why I do have a good feeling about if I'm the Hurricanes, I have a good feeling tonight. Oh, Rask, if you thought he struggled last game, he could really blow up tonight in net, and that's not good because he blows up. He may just be a wreck for the rest of the series, and if he's a wreck for the rest of the series, I'd say the wreck for the rest of the playoffs, but it might just be the remainder of the series, and then your playoffs are over. But Tukarask, he needs to be better. But, you know, luckily the offense produced. I mean, granted, four goals and five overtimes, you know, wasn't phenomenal, but uh, not five overtimes. Oh, my goodness. Five periods, you know, four and a half, you know, whatever. 
is it phenomenal, but it's still pretty good. The offensive production was good. They were getting shots on net. They were scoring goals. But And I know the defense hasn't been phenomenal either, but Tugarask's got to be better. And then Jake DeBrusque. I mean, the guy had so many opportunities to score. He has been in a scoring slump. And the offense was good, really, yesterday, except for him. I mean, he was like the one negative on offense. But overall, yesterday's win was a big one. I, You know, the offense really, Krejci, Case, the fourth line, the first line, they were all producing. Charlie McAvoy's getting in there. So they're progressively getting better. I didn't think Tory Krug was that terrible either. But, you know, Tukaras still shaky. Jake DeBrusque isn't looking that great. I think DeBrusque is one you can handle, though, because if the offense can stay this hot, if the first line can keep producing, the fourth line can give you sparks when needed. And Case and Krejci can play well. I mean, it would be great if DeBrusque could play well, too. Because if DeBrusque, oh, if DeBrusque could score goals again, along with that dynamic duel of Krejci and Case, oh, you're set. But I think you can live with DeBrusque being bad, you know, in his little slump. But at the end of the day, it would be good if he was better. But I think the two big ones right now are... I'd say at three big ones are your D uh, two grass being shaky. The defense still doesn't look hundred percent and the power play. The power play is a big issue because that can cost you a series. It gets really close and you need to capitalize on opportunities like that, especially in the playoffs when you don't get that many calls. So the Bruins power play has been very bad. The defense and two grass, they have not looked that great either, but luckily you were able to squeak out the win yesterday. I thought that was huge, but let's see how they do in this game too. If they can win the second game convincingly, I'm going to be happy, but I'm not told they can. I'm not too confident on two grass coming into this next game. I do think the team has progressively got better each game. And I like that. I like that. I do, but I'm still, you know, it all comes down to goaltending. And if I, you know, two grass is going to struggle, it may not matter what the offense does, you know. So we're going to see how that goes. I'll definitely review that when the time comes. But now, to wrap today's episode, we're going to get to the NBA. So let's get to that. All right, so now for our NBA segment, we're going to get to the Russell Westbrook injury. And then we're going to get, oh, yeah, the Ben Simmons rumors too. Uh, I'm going to back off those for now because I think that's a juicier storyline for maybe sometime in the future when it's actually somewhat relevant. That's already starting to die away, those trade rumors. I'm sure we're going to cover those. We kind of did already on the podcast doing ball and day's work. We're going to back off the, the Ben Simmons trade rumors until that's a little more relevant again because I feel like that's just kind of died off. And rightfully so. I mean, the playoffs are starting to get ready. Ben Simmons isn't even playing because he's hurt. So we'll talk about that uh, time in the future. But we're going to talk about the Russell Westbrook injury, and then we're going to talk about this race for the to get the 8-9 and nine seed in the West. But first, we're going to start with that Russell Westbrook injury. I think this is very significant to the Rockets' season and their playoff success. I don't know when Russ is coming back. I don't know how he's going to be when he does come back, if he comes back in time. But if he's out, this Rockets team, that just takes a significant blow because you look at it. And although I do believe a big part, you know, we've looked at this and said James Harden hasn't been that great in the playoffs in the past. And Russell Westbrook hasn't been that great either. One, I think that's a bit overblown. And two, I think a lot of that was they weren't, they were out of energy. They were gassed come playoff time. This year, they've had the break. And yeah, people say, well, they just played eight games and come on, you know, that that's different. I mean, there, there's a difference between coming off an 82 game season and an eight game restart. There's a difference. Okay, they've had, obviously they've been working out and whatnot, but they've had a rest. And I think that's key. And I think James Harden will be better 
even without Russell Westbrook than he has in the past because of that rest. But at the end of the day, this is still a significant blow for this team. They need this this year. This is a big year because if they don't, if they're a first round exit, they, I see Daryl Morey going home. Uh, you know, he gets fired. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Mike D'Antoni get fired and trade rumors. You're going to hear some uh, Russell Westbrook trade rumors. He might be back on the block and I wouldn't be too, I don't think they will, but you know, James Harden, it's very rare to see a superstar on the trade market of James Harden's caliber that doesn't request a trade, but maybe the case here, maybe. But they really roll in the dice, and the loss of Russell, Russell Westbrook so huge because a lot of the – also the thing about the postseason was it's all the weight is on their shoulders. All the weight was on James Harden's shoulders. But with Russell Westbrook, some of the weight's off of his shoulders. He's a little more well-rested as these series go on. And, you know, not to mention the pandemic break. He's well-rested, you know. But then you got West, Russell Westbrook. It takes some pressure off him. You know, it distracts the defense a little bit. He can put a little more effort on defense. So the loss of Russell Westbrook is huge because I also think he's a huge part of this team's success. Yes, James Harden's a facilitator, but so is Russell Westbrook. He's a big part of the small ball lineup. He's thrived in the small ball lineup. He's obviously a superstar caliber player. I would... I wouldn't call him a superstar just because I don't think he can be the number one option on a team and lead you to a championship, but he's a star player. He's one of the better players in the league. I love Russell Westbrook. But without him, this Rockets team, I was a big believer in this Rockets team coming into the restart, but that was with Russell Westbrook. Without him, I don't know. I think they can get through past around with them, maybe. Without him, maybe. But that's it. I, I really just... And I think they're facing the Thunder. Like the Thunder may be the favorite in that without Russell uh, without Russell Westbrook. Not the Thunder without Russell Westbrook. The Rockets without Russell Westbrook. I think that makes the Thunder the favorite in that series. Don't sleep on the Thunder, but especially with the Rockets with no Russell Westbrook, ooh, that's a problem. Even if he comes back mid-series, you know, he comes back for game four. The Rockets right down 2-1 in the series. I mean, maybe it'll probably be a close series, you know, with or without him. But still, I mean, just. That's a big loss for the Rockets. I really don't sleep on that because I know obviously everybody knows it's a big loss, but I'm telling you, it's very significant. He's a huge part in that small ball system. He's a facilitator for this team. He takes some pressure off James Harden, and he makes this team a lot more dynamic and explosive. And that's kind of what the Rockets are going for. So definitely keep an eye on that and how it affects this Rockets team and keep an eye on when is he going to return. But now the race out west. So... Obviously, a big part of this eight games has been the play-in because they need to give these fringe playoff teams a chance. So, team-by-team scenarios to get into the playoffs right now. The Trailblazers, who have the best shot at getting in. I think everybody thinks they're going to get in. To clinch the number eight seed, they can clinch the number eight seed if they win or the Grizzlies, Suns, and Spurs lose. So, they could very well lose, but if the Grizzlies, Suns, and Spurs lose, they'll get the number eight seed anyway. Um... but if they win, that's it. If they if the Trailblazers win, they have the number eight seed, and that's it. Uh, and then they clinch the number nine seed if they lose, and two of the Grizzlies, Suns, and Spurs lose. So if they lose, odds are they're going to get the nine seed. But they're actually they could. There's a scenario where they get eliminated if they lose, and two of the Grizzlies, Suns, and Spurs win. So the Trailblazers are no lock to get in. I mean, if they lose, I legitimately think they could be out of this thing. 
but I don't think they will lose. That's the thing. I think the Nets could actually give them a run. Like, if I'm the Trailblazers, I'm a little nervous, but that's the thing. Like, I see the Spurs and Suns winning. I think the Suns are going to win because they're just hot, and the Mavericks don't care about this game. They're probably going to sit John and Chris Stapps, and the Spurs, they're hungry. They're not going to give this thing. They are a hungry team. They're not going to blow this opportunity, even though it's a small shot they make it in. They're not going to blow this opportunity, and they're facing the Jazz. I think they can win that. And the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies could very well make it in, too. You know, the Bucks have no Giannis. The Bucs have some connections with some Grizzlies coaching staff, so they may very well throw that game. But I do think the Bucs will try harder than some people think. So the Trailblazers could very well get bumped out of this thing. But after the game Dame just had, I don't think they will. Uh, the Grizzlies, they clinch the number 18 if they win and the Trailblazers lose. So if they win, the Blazers lose. It doesn't matter what happens with the Suns and Spurs. They're at the number 8 seed. They get the number 9 seed, they clinch it. I say if they win and the Blazers win or the Suns and Spurs lose. So they get the number nine seed if they win and the Blazers win. Because the Blazers win their default number eight seed. It doesn't matter what those other teams do. They have no shot at the number eight seed. And they get eliminated if they lose and the Suns or Spurs win. So if they lose today's game, they're done. It, or not today's game. I don't know if they're playing today or tomorrow. I haven't checked the exact schedule. But... If the Grizzlies lose, they're done because there's no shot. Both the Spurs and Suns lose. There's no shot. So the Grizzlies have to win their game uh, to get in. And personally, I see them losing to the Bucs. And a close one. It's pretty close. But the Phoenix Suns, they clinched the number eight seed if they win and the Blazers and Grizzlies lose. Uh, so that one's kind of unlikely to me. I don't know, though, because as much as I think the Suns will win, I don't think the Grizzlies or the Blazers end up losing, but it's going to be pretty close. So the Suns could very well get the eight seed. They clinch the nine seed if they win and the Blazers or Grizzlies lose. So uh, that's the very likely scenario. Uh, most people think the Blazers are going to get the eight seed. The Suns are going to get the nine seed. And this is why. Pretty much everybody is the Suns winning their game. And then they expect either the, you know, probably the Gri Grizzlies to lose. Uh, and then they're eliminated if they lose, period. If they lose, they're out. So they can't lose. But the thing is, nobody thinks they will because they're the hottest team in the bubble right now. And the Mavericks are sitting, probably going to sit their two best players. If Dondrich and Chris Stapps aren't in this, forget it. It's not even going to be really that much of a game. Like if the Suns blow this, oh, I'd laugh so hard. I wouldn't even be that shocked if they do. I mean, it'd be a little surprised, but it would be just be so funny. I really hope they do because I am a big believer in the Spurs team. But the, uh, the cards are just stacked up against them. And they clinch the number eight seed if they win in the Blazers and Grizzlies lose. So it's going to take a miracle. I mean, it's my, uh, not a miracle, but they, I do see them winning the game, but they're going to have to bank on the Trailblazers and the Grizzlies losing. They clinch the number nine seed if they win and two of the Blazers, Grizzlies, and Suns lose. That's the thing. Like, I, this is the, like, I, as much as I see the Spurs winning, do I see I see the Trailblazers and Suns winning as well, which only leaves one loss, and it's the Grizzlies. They need two to get in, and they're eliminated if they lose, period. So those are the – that's kind of the schedule. So team-by-team team games, the Grizzlies are facing the Bucks, Suns are facing the Mavericks, Spurs are facing the Jazz, Blazers are facing the Nets. So we already talked about that. But this race is going to be fun to watch. I don't think it's going to be predictable as people think. People are saying Trailblazers 18, Suns 9 seed, that's it. I wouldn't even, like, I, 
I'd be surprised. I can't say I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if the Blazers don't make it in, but expect the unexpected. I don't know if it's going to be as simple as, like everybody thinks, Blazers 8 seed, Suns 9 seed. I really just, my gut's telling me the Spurs will make it in. The Spurs will make this play in. They've been playing well. They're hungry. Greg Popovich has proven I am not letting this streak go. But this cards are stacked up against them. I mean, virtually on paper, they have the worst shot of all four teams at making it in this thing. But your gut just tells you they're going to make it. The Grizzlies, I'm sleeping on them a little. I won't lie. I mean, they're the one team I think that's going to lose out of these four, you know, teams. But they very well could win and make it in. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I wouldn't be surprised really by any scenario. But the Grizzlies, to me, I just think a lot of people are like, oh, the Bucks. they're, you know, Giannis is suspended. They have nothing to play for. Uh, the coaching staff has connections to the Grizzlies organization, so they may just throw them a bone and say, you know, just why not? They don't really have anything to play for. But I do think the players are going to try harder than some people would imagine. This Bucks team without Giannis is a significant drop-off, but I still think they're better than the Grizzlies, who don't have J- uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And even though the Bucks may not try as hard as the Grizzlies, I do think they'll still, hard try, still try hard enough because I think those Bucks players want to prove they can do it without Giannis. And this is their probably their last chance this season to do so. And then you've got the Suns who I think will win against the Mavericks. If the Mavericks are playing Luka and Chris Stapps, I would bet on them losing. I would bet on them blowing it and them not getting in. I am not a Suns believer, but they're red hot right now. And if they're facing a Mavericks team without their two, oh, that Mavericks team is lost without Luka and Chris Stapps. And considering how red hot the Suns are, I find it hard to see them lose. You know, but if they do play Luka and Chris Stapps, even if they only try, you know, semi-hard, I could see the Mavericks winning and the Suns blowing it and I'd laugh. And I want that to happen because I want to see the Grizzlies are basically, I am rooting against the Suns. They're just cups. And then you've got the Trailblazers. They're basically a lock to make it in, but expect the unexpected. But at the same time, just know the Trailblazers are going to make it in. But I would be surprised if they don't, but they've got to lose. Two of the three teams have got to lose as well. It's like, it probably won't happen. But at the same time, the Nets have been playing better than most people give them credit for. And Dame is just on fire. He looks like he just wants, he has something to prove. He is so hungry. Blazers don't make make it in. And then you've got the, uh, did I cover every team? Oh, the Spurs. I think they'll beat the Jazz again. I'm telling you, I think they'll beat the Jazz, but I don't think, you know, they're going to have enough team teams lose to make it in. Like, Greg Popovich and this team, they're, they're a young team. They're hungry. They don't want to let the streak go, as in Greg Popovich. And even, I think, the players, even though they, you know, most of these guys are young guys who weren't really a part of this run, they still don't want to let that go. They're hungry. They're not going to blow this opportunity. And I love this first team. I really, my gut just saying they're going to make it in, but... How? I mean, I just don't see the Suns losing. I don't see that the scenario is playing out. Like, I'll read them again. Um, Where is it? All right, here it is. Um, So to get in for them, they have to, to clinch the number eight seed, they have to win and have the Blazers and Grizzlies lose. I, You know, the more I think about that, they could very well do it. They could very well do that. Because I think the Grizzlies are going to lose, and I wouldn't be too shocked that the Blazers lose to the Nets. 
And I think the Spurs are basically a lock to win against the Jazz. For the number nine seed, they have to win and have two of the Blazers, Grizzlies, and Suns lose. I mean, like... So, they could get the eight seed. Is it kind of far-fetched? Sure, but they could get it because I think they're going to win. I think the Grizzlies are going to lose. And as much as I think the Blazers will win, they could very well lose to the Nets. I think the Nets will keep it close. So, I don't know. I really want the Nets to make it. Uh, or Sorry, the Spurs. I, I just a believer in them. But I just don't know. The cards are stacked up against them. And if I love the Grizzlies, too. Uh, you know, so either way, I just don't want to see the Suns make it in. Because I just... No, no. If the sun, no. It just shows how dumb this bubble. Kind of, I, I hate to say that, but because it's the best they've done. I love the bubble, but the sun's making it in really. I don't even care if they're so red hot. People are like, Aiden, you're sleeping on the Phoenix Suns. You listen. Listen to what you're telling me. I'm sleeping on the Phoenix Suns. I don't want to see the suns making it because they're the Phoenix Suns. Ran by Robert Sarver. Please. I, I you, you can throw the Cleveland Cavaliers in. For all I care. Not the Suns. Please, not the Suns. Don't. No. No. I'm just really rooting against the Suns. And I love the Trailblazers. I love the Spurs team. I love the Grizzlies. And I don't like the Suns. So, those three teams just gotta... They gotta show up. Alright? So, we'll see what happens. But anyway, that's gonna wrap it up for today's episode. A lot of things on slate. I mean, you got the NHL playoffs starting. You know, the NBA... Uh, players, you know, they're going to start soon. You're obviously going to have to play in, but you're going to have to wa- watch this Western Conference. Get invested into it because it's fun. It's fun to see this thing play out. I felt like I just talked about the NFL Week 17, Week 16 scenarios. Kind of like that. It's in the NBA now. But, yeah, anyway, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you go check out us, out me and Miss Sideline. And we started um, with some other guys that I'm not sure you guys would know, but Ball in a Day's Work Media. We've got a podcast. We've got a YouTube channel. We've got a website. We've got a Twitter, Instagram, everything for you guys. And that's got a lot of potential. Definitely go check it out. Having a lot of fun over there. And, yeah, uh, get the Anchor mobile app and call in. We haven't had a caller in so long. Ask me a question. If you want to debate with me, anything is on the table. But, anyway, thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. I'll see you guys later.